Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. Good morning, Church Church United. It's good to be back with you guys, being able to open up God's Word together. Um, I know I've been able to hang out with you guys a few times, and every moment has been been great. I, before I get going in God's word this morning as we, we open it up, I just want to say thank you to, to New Valley Worship for leading us in worship. It's great to be able to, to come and be with even our worship team here and to be able to serve you guys this morning. So I'm grateful, um, even as a pastor, that they um, came out this morning and knowing that they're going to have to lead worship again this afternoon um, for, for our body. And so I'm really thankful um, for that. And so I just want to say thank you to them for that. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 12 through 22 this morning. Again, that's Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22 this morning. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, and on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and the father and followed him. Pray for me. Pray with me and for me, by the way. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, for all that you're doing um, in our lives, Lord. I pray that as we come to to understand your word um, this morning, that we would seek to to understand what you have for us, Lord, not what we're bringing in with our preconceived notions, but that we come humbly before you, asking you to move and to work through this passage of Scripture. And Father, I pray that we are able to catch a vision for our lives, for what it looks like um, to be a disciple, and what it looks like to, to follow you in every area of our lives. So Father, through your grace and mercy, through your word this morning, prune us, mold us, grow us, Father, by your Spirit. Stir our affections for you and for your mission and for your kingdom. All this is what we ask in your name. Amen. I want to title this message, The Kingdom of God in Discipleship. The Kingdom of God in Discipleship. Because a lot of times when we think about the idea of the kingdom of God, sometimes we we sense a, a type of bifurcation in our thought. That means a separation in our thought between what it looks like to desire the kingdom and actually to live as disciples of Jesus. 
I think if we read the Bible in a faithful way, we'll read it verse by verse through, and you see this connecting valve here in this text because Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, but also he talks about our discipleship. See, sometimes for us in our lives, we, we think about the kingdom of God as just being a destination that we can, we can get to one day. In our minds, we think, well, if I just live for God's kingdom, if I just seek to acquire God's kingdom, I'll have everything that God has for me. But it's interesting here because what we see in this text is, is vital. Because there's not a separation between being a part of God's kingdom and embracing a lifestyle committed to discipleship. So you can't talk about kingdom work or kingdom language without having a, a detailed thought about what it looks like to be a disciple in your own life. So as we come to understanding this text, we need to see it from that vision, that the kingdom of God is pressing us somewhere, that that is moving us in such a way that we need to seek to live for Jesus' glory in all areas of our lives. This brings us to point number one this morning, that the kingdom of God exposes darkness. That's the first big idea that we're going to see in this text because earlier on in Matthew's account, we are introduced to the ministry of John the Baptist. We learn that his ministry is for the purpose of preparing the, the way for the kingdom that is to come through Jesus. He says he's the messenger that's going before Jesus, laying out the path to point others towards him. He uses this phrase, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, John knew what God was going to do through his kingdom, and so he was preparing others for this reality. In verse 17, Matthew is quick to share with us even Jesus himself, his purpose statement in ministry. And it was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the gospel of Mark, it affirms this same idea for us. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What is this gospel of God? He, he was saying that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So when we see this kingdom language used, even by John the Baptist, even by Jesus, it is for this purpose of this good news that Jesus is a king and that he's bringing about a kingdom. This type of statement isn't something that we should take lightly. I think sometimes when we talk about kingdom language, we say, oh yeah, Jesus has a kingdom, he's a king, but it has no implications on our lives. If Jesus is actually this king who has established his throne, shouldn't that impact our lives? So let's, let's think about this for a few moments, because sometimes when we think about kingdom language in an American context, it's actually truly foreign to us. Because sometimes we read texts like this and we, we can't even compute sometimes what the implications are for our lives. Because when we think about kingdoms, we think about medieval culture. Cultures filled with kings, queens, and knights. That, that's the type of culture we think about. We're more used to a nation that's filled with republics and nations and states, not kingdoms. So when this language is used here in this text, it's actually pressing against us in a, in a vital way. This is Jesus making a very political statement. This is Jesus saying that to the Jewish people in this context that Rome's kingdom is not God's kingdom. 
Let me add to that. What he is saying is this, is that the kingdom of America is not God's kingdom. Also, what he's saying is this, is that the personal kingdom that you are trying to build for your own life, you know about it. It's the kingdom that you've been building in your life, that you want to build your, your nice white picket fence. You want to build your utopian society. Oh, that kingdom, that kingdom that you've been building is not God's kingdom necessarily. See, this is a very political statement in the sense of that there's a king who's establishing his kingdom that is going to reign and that's going to rule forever. So if that is true, shouldn't that have implications on our lives? See, the biblical language here that is used is not discounting God's rule and reign before Jesus' public ministry, but it's actually illuminating it. Because it's saying that God tangibly himself came down to earth to initiate, to establish his kingdom here on earth. This is a kingdom that we can trust because some of you might be skeptical of God and the kingdom that he is building. You might be thinking, well, can I actually trust the kingdom that he is establishing? Is it actually better than these other kingdoms? You can. Because there's a holy and righteous just king who came to earth to establish his kingdom. He's someone that you can trust. When Rome will fail you, Jesus will not. When America will fail you in the constructs of the nation, Jesus will not. And this is the thing. This is why it's such a political moment. Hear me. It's because that is life-altering. Because your hope will not be placed in building a kingdom here, but in the kingdom that Jesus is building And this is what we need to lean into because this drastically impacts our discipleship. It does. Continuing on through this text in verses 17, I mean 12 through 17, we see that Jesus went to Galilee first. Think about that. Why would he go to, to Galilee first? Why wouldn't he start in Jerusalem? I mean, that, that's where he's from. Even when we talk about the mission of Jesus, we talk about it in such a way where we need to start in our local context and we need to work ourselves out. But it's interesting here because the prophet Isaiah even talks about this a little bit. Because in this text, it's interesting because Galilee is one of the most unlikely places to see people submit to the kingdom of God. Galilee was the place that was living in rebellion against God in an outright manner. And so for Jesus to start there is a big deal. See, people were impoverished physically and spiritually. They were living in desperation. And so as Jesus is coming to this region, he's coming to them to bring them this good news. It was despite their rebellious hearts. It was despite their unfaithfulness. But Jesus came to them with this purpose saying, you can have this good news. You can be brought into my kingdom. Historically, if you look at what's happening in this text, previously, earlier on in Scripture, we know that God actually had given up this people to the Assyrians. This is a part of a territory that, that God was, they, they were rebelling against God, and God was kind of frustrated with how they're acting. He said, okay, you want to act like them? Go be with them. The good news is that the, the story doesn't end there. It's actually cool because the prophet Isaiah in this text is actually foreshadowing the reality of God's sovereign hand. Because sometimes we look at situations and we think, oh, well, well, God's just done with me right now, but he wasn't done with them yet. 
That, that God knew within his sovereign reign that he was going to bring about his kingdom through Jesus and he was going to reach this people with the good news of the gospel. See, what we see from the prophet Isaiah is that he is painting a picture of how spiritually broken this land is. That's why he refers to them as being a people that are dwelling in darkness. I don't know about you, but I don't like dwelling in darkness. There's this time that I was at a community group gathering, and we were in the middle of the gathering having a great conversation, and all the power went out in the house. And in that moment, it was fairly awkward because we were hosting it, and my wife and I are scrambling, trying to find candles, something, a lighter, just trying to light up the room. Because why? Because nobody likes to dwell in darkness. But it's interesting here because these people are referred to as being someone who is dwelling in darkness. See, I think that we can relate to the people of Zebulun and Naphtali in this text because these people were spiritually dark. They were lost. They were away from God and that they needed someone to come and to interact on their behalf. In the midst of their darkness, they were in need of a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 13 says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus is the one who, who brings light into the midst of dark places. See, I, I don't know where you're at right now in your life, but you might be feeling like you're in such a dark place. But there's one who brings light into the midst of darkness. But here's the good thing. That's the good news about his kingdom. The kingdom of God actually exposes darkness. It shows the, the broken crevices of our lives that we, we try to hide, that we, we try to keep packed away in our closet. And it shows us the good news that, no, Jesus came, came to save, that Jesus can still redeem your life, that Jesus can still do a work in you even when you don't believe it yourself. See, Jesus has the ability to free you from the darkness that you are in. And this was this good news that he was bringing about with his kingdom. John chapter 12, verse 46 says, I have come into this world so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Friends, if you can believe and you can trust in this good news that Jesus is who he says he is, you don't have to be worried about the darkness anymore. The dominion of sin in your life can be relinquished at the cross. The, the kingdom of God is the, the power to, has the power to liberate you from your imprisonment to sin and give you the ability to taste and to see the goodness of the Lord. All through your belief and trust in Jesus being who he says he is. But here's the connection to discipleship. Because when you believe that Jesus' kingdom actually has this type of power, that it can actually change your life, it has to impact your discipleship. If it actually exposes the sin in your life, if it actually shows you the ways that you need to grow, it has to impact the way that you pursue relationships with others, the way that you personally seek to grow in your love of the Lord, because there's not an area that it doesn't impact. See, Jesus wants us to be students of his kingdom while we share with others about this good kingdom. He wants us to be growing personally so that we can actually be this light to the world, so that we can radiate his light to the people around us. 
So we have to understand that he personally exposes our own darkness, but also that he's calling us to discipleship. That leads us to point number two this morning. He says, the point is this, it says, the kingdom of God makes discipleship the priority. The kingdom of God makes discipleship the priority. Now, I was very intentional with the wording here because I think sometimes if we change one word in that phrase, it would change everything in our lives. Because if I would have said the kingdom of God makes discipleship a priority, it would have a totally different impact on your life. But there's a difference of the kingdom of God making discipleship the priority in your life. So, so that's part of our task as we, as we read verses 18 through 22 and understand what's happening because discipleship isn't just a priority in your life. It's not just another thing that you fit into your schedule, but it should be the, the driving force in your life. It's interesting here as we look at this text because Jesus was somebody who drew large, uh, large crowds While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Just just think think about that beforehand. We know previously that Jesus was in Galilee, that he had drawn crowds of people to hear him speak. People had caught, caught wind of what was happening there. God had moved in such a powerful way. And we have some good clues to believe that the guys that he's encountering in this text were in some of those spaces. So we need to keep that in in the back of our minds. Because as Jesus was was reaching people, he had a great reach with his ministry. He had a type of regional span. It was as if that a church here in our community was reaching as far as as Nelson County or other counties around us, that it, it was reaching so far that everybody knew about what he was talking about. So we need that context here in this moment because what is happening is that Jesus is going to come to these men in this moment and he's going to call them to some hard things because this was all building up to this moment because let's think about it. John, sorry, Andrew and Peter probably heard about John the Baptist. They probably heard about him paving the way for the kingdom of God. They probably actually heard Jesus talking to the hundreds, maybe thousands of people about what it looks like to to follow him and to be a part of his kingdom. And another way that we know that they were maybe familiar with Jesus is in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, Jesus actually spent a long night with a group of fishermen, and he actually helped them to have a miraculous type of catch that night. So there was some time that was spent with these men prior to this moment of the the verses I just read. So before Jesus approached them, there had been equity spent there, casting vision about what it looks like to live for the kingdom of God. So when Jesus approaches these men, he interrupts Peter and Andrew in the midst of their jobs, and he calls them to discipleship. Jesus uses the phrase, follow me here, to initiate this discipleship relationship, and their lives would never be the same. These men had heard, but they were called to actually to respond to the kingdom. They weren't just called to be 
people who just take in information about the kingdom, but they were called to be participators in the kingdom. These men were committing to living out the mission of God so that other people could know the glory of God throughout the world. So when Jesus says these words to them, follow me, it has weight. They knew that the kingdom that Jesus was building was at hand, and they knew they needed to respond. So when Jesus invites them into a discipleship relationship, this is something that was semi-common in Jewish culture. That within this culture, they would have um, teacher-student relationships. They would have these types of relationships where you would come, you would find your, the person that you want to learn from, and you would come to them and say, teach me. But it's a little bit different here in this moment because Jesus actually goes to the people and he pursues them. In the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their lack of hope, Jesus comes to them and pursues them and says, come, follow me. So there's a little bit of a different nature to the discipleship that, that Jesus is laying out here. Jesus wanted to bring them into, their life, into his life. He wanted to walk alongside of them. He wanted to be able to show them what it looks like to give glory to God in all areas of life. Could you imagine being them in this moment? You're minding your own business, working at your job, and uh, Jesus comes up to you. You know, that would be crazy if Jesus came up to you. But Jesus comes up to you, and he's like, follow me. You'd be like, what? Are you serious, Clark? You, are, you, are you sure you? Yeah, no, 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 follow me right now. Follow me. Could, could you imagine the type of radical obedience this, this would bring about in their lives? That, that in the midst of their, their lives, and in the midst of a, a hard week when work's been, been rough, when you've had family issues, Oh, when you're struggling in your, your interpersonal relationships. Oh, when you just don't feel like gathering with God's people. Jesus comes to you and says, follow me. Oh, but, but I've been working on this project at my house for such a long time. No, 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 follow me. Oh, but, but I got things to do this weekend. I got places to go. I got that nice lake house that I really have to go. No, no, follow me. In the midst of their situation, he causes them to, to drop at a dime with these words, follow me. What Jesus is doing here is he's calling them into radical obedience. And some of you might be even bothered by me using that phrase, radical obedience, because you haven't committed yourself to anything really in life. You, you've fallen into the temptation of believing that you just need to be somebody that's a very fluid person that is non-committal. You've been wondering why your faith hasn't taken steps forward, and it's because you actually haven't committed to a life given to discipleship. So, so in these moments when you maybe have heard these phrases and, and Jesus says, follow me, you're saying, but, but, but this, I don't want to give up. I, but I, I like this. I, I like where I'm at right now. I'm comfortable. Man, these dudes had families and friends. They had jobs. The guys later on was working for their father's business. No, we need to take this call serious. Because if he's actually king bringing about his kingdom, I think he, he's going to establish it with or without you. 
And if you're going to be a part of his kingdom, I think he has the right to demand of you, follow me. I think he can make that, that call to us. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 says this. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, when it comes to the words of self-denial, it's hard for us to, to bear sometimes. Self-denial for these men definitely meant placing their jobs and families under submission to the kingdom of God. Self-denial for these men meant relinquishing their vision for their lives and placing it into submission under God's vision for their lives. And that might be hard for some of you right now in the moments you're in because you might have a good vision. You've been planning for 10 plus years to get your company to this, this spot. Maybe in your mind, you might be looking towards retirement. You're saying, well, I've been looking forward, forward towards retirement and I'm getting so close there. But you know that Jesus is calling you to do radical things in your life. No, this is the type of obedience that, that Jesus is calling them to, and it's life-altering. See, when our visions for our lives are united with God's vision, it will lead us not to neglect our families and their well-being. So don't hear me on that. Don't hear me say that, okay? But it will actually lead to you to flourish in the way that you care for your family. So this isn't a sense of, oh, well, you're giving up so, so many things for Jesus, but you're actually going to be, be able to do other things in a holistic type of way. Don't put the blame on your family for your discipleship and your lack of commitment. Don't put the blame on your job for your lack of commitment. But, but I have to do those things. No, you will flourish more in those spaces when you actually give it over to God in his kingdom. I find it interesting here, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier, that in this moment when Jesus called them, they did it immediately. Have you ever just thought about that sometimes? When, when you think about following Jesus, maybe right now in the context we're in, you're, you're like, well, I got some time to really decide if I want to be discipled. Or, or maybe I'll, I'll get into a community. Or maybe I'll, I'll take steps of faith. When Jesus said, follow me, they actually moved as if he was God. It reminds me of just growing up and just hearing sometimes a parent talk to a child, and this maybe might be your experience right now, or you've experienced this yourself, you probably have, but a parent talking to a child, and they're, they're trying to call them somewhere. So for me, it'd be like, KJ, come over here. Like, I don't move quick enough. And Kelvin Jamal, come over here. She done brought up my full legal name. Oh, man. Hey, y'all act like I haven't been there before. I've been there. Um, but this is the thing, though. Sometimes in these moments, we, we feel like Jesus needs to call out your full legal name. You feel like God has to enunciate even clearer to you for you to actually to be able to move in your life. Well, I don't hear God calling me to that. Well, he's called me to be a unique type of disciple. Oh, no, no, no. Discipleship in my life looks different from everybody else's. I, I don't need to be around people. I, I don't need to actually to take this serious because, oh, five years from now, when I make it in my career, that's when I'll take it serious. Guys, stop believing those lies. Stop believing that you need to wait to move. 
Trust God right now in this season to move you. Trust that he's going to grow you in your life. Don't allow your home projects to hinder you. Don't allow your work to hinder you. Don't allow your lack of sleep to hinder you, because that can be an idol too. Well, I need to get up in the morning and, and read my Bible, but I like sleep so much more. Just think, just think about that reality. I'll let you deal with that yourself. Um, <laughs> there's so many different things in our lives that we allow to, to stunt our discipleship. For some of you, this means that when you get home from work, you isolate yourself. You, you remove yourself from people, and it's not because you're trying to dine with the Lord, but it's because you want to be selfish. When group time comes around, it's Wednesday night, and our, our gospel communities are, are our small groups at New Valley, and when, when it gets 6 o'clock and you're like looking at your watch, you're like, should I go? Netflix sounds really good right now. Like, I can just hit next, and I can keep on going. No, 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 no. Jesus said immediately, on the dime, follow me. This is radical obedience for your life. But are we willing to commit to Jesus in this type of way? Friends, I don't know where Jesus is going to take you at for the sake of his mission. I don't know. For some of you, you're going to have to take steps of faith in ways that you have not taken before. But I want to encourage you to do so. Luke chapter 9, verse 20, I mean, 57, verse through 60 says this. It says, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Those are tough words. He's saying, in a nutshell, your primary focus in your life should be God's kingdom. Your primary ambition in your life should be how do I push the mission of Jesus forward? Even if that means if your family's holding you back, you got to keep going. That's hard, but that is this call to discipleship that Jesus is calling us to. Third point, and I'm going to sit down and get out, get out of your way. The kingdom of God multiplies through disciple making. The kingdom of God multiplies through disciple making. See, the disciples were familiar with this phrase, but sometimes when we think about this phrase, we, we separate our personal faith from the call to, to reach more people. Jesus says to them in this moment, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Both of those are part of the, the lifestyle of a disciple. You're not just somebody, you're just supposed to soak it in all yourself, but you're supposed to reproduce and seek to build God's kingdom. See, there are three types of people in here this morning, and bear with me in this analogy, but you're either a consumer, you're a hoarder, or you're a disciple maker. Don't be too offended here. Some of y'all will get offended quickly. Okay, consumer, this is what this is. It's, consumers try to absorb all the ways that they can um, consume knowledge about God. They feel like they're constantly in just a season of personal growth. So they enter into environments and spaces saying, well, I just need to grow. But it always leads you to stop short of a sending culture. A hoarder. Hoarders are people who like to gather groups of people to, to either teach or study the scriptures together. These individuals tend to have influence over a few people, but their reach tends to stop short. They do a good job of helping individuals grow, but they stop short of actually having a sending culture. You, you've seen that happen before where they have their nice knit group of people, but they're never sending and actually making more disciples because they're just staying together. 
The third is a combination of both of these. It's a disciple maker. Disciple makers tend to grow both, uh, to, to both grow and sin simultaneously. These people are always looking for opportunities to grow while they seek to reach more people with the gospel. They are inclined to send out people they are discipling so they can reach more people. Their influence is wide and narrow, and that this will keep on multiplying in their lives. Think about that. Like, do you have a vision for your life that there will be generations of disciples that will come from your legacy that you leave? Like, that you will hear stories of third and fourth generation disciples of people that you've made disciples of. That call to, to be a fisher of men was Jesus saying to them that you might know this vocation for the purposes that you've been given to it, but let me show you how you can use this idea for the purpose of reaching more people with the good news of the gospel. And friends, all of us need to fall into this category of being a disciple maker. We need to be captivated by this vision for our lives. And we need to be a part of a culture that is growing and sending. And I believe that your church here is seeking to create those types of cultures, that y'all have community groups to grow together and fellowship to grow, but also to multiply so you can make more disciples. There's people that are seeking to gather people together into discipleship environments so you can walk alongside of them and that you can encourage them so that you can make more disciples. So this is the case I've tried to make for you guys this morning from this text is that the kingdom of God is closely connected to discipleship. They're, they're intertwined, they're intermingled, they're, they're wedded together. So as you talk about the kingdom of God, be committed to actually the discipleship in your life and the lives of other people. But the question for you is this, how are you going to respond to that this morning? Are you going to continue to live lackadaisically, moving slowly, not seeking to press into environments and spaces that are actually going to, to help you to grow? Are you going to allow people to actually disciple you and say tough things to you in tough moments? The things that you don't always want to hear. Are you going to put yourself in those spaces so that you can be a part of building the kingdom of God? Friends, that's my hope for you this morning. That you will leave here encouraged by the reality that Jesus has brought a kingdom. That it does shine light on darkness, but that it does call us into something a life committed to following him, a life committed to discipleship. And guess what? He doesn't just want to stop of your life, but he wants to reach more people. Friends, will you catch that vision for your life? As we have moved forward with the planting of New Valley Church, that's the vision that we have. Our vision is that we exist to see as many people as possible transformed by the gospel. For us, that means that we want to create environments and spaces Similarly to some, some of the environments that you guys have created to help people grow. For us, this flows out in a few different ways. We want to gather together on corporate worship together, worshiping Jesus, helping to make disciples. We want to gather together in gospel communities at smaller group settings. And then also we want to gather together in discipleship groups, which are three or four men or three or four women gathering together to grow together in God's word. Because when we create these spaces in these environments, this is how the kingdom of God is pushed forward. Like, we make disciples and plant churches because we want to see the expansion of God's kingdom. So wherever you're at, whether you're in this local body or if you're, you're part of ascending culture going to other places, you have to catch this vision for your life. I'm sharing those things because Pastor Rob asked me to just share a little bit about New Valley Church. 
But that's all I'm going to share with you because I'm out of time. But this is the thing. I want you to know that you can be praying for us as we seek to make disciples in our community, as we seek to help others um, come to know Jesus and take steps forward in their faith. Pray that we will multiply. Pray that people will come and join us on mission. We're, right now we're praying for, for five or so more families to come to join us and to commit to helping us make disciples in Waynesboro because we need these types of life-giving, envir- life-giving environments that are going to help people to grow in their faith. And the third way that you can help support the mission of Jesus through New Valley is through giving to the mission of Jesus. Because when we give, it's already God's, but we're giving it to him to see the gospel advance. But here's my hope for you, that you, at the end of this, will say, I just want to make disciples, and that you're just willing to commit to discipleship environments. For your